Welcome to the School of the Word. This is Lesson 30 in our teaching series, As in the Days of Noah, titled, The Greatest Lie of All Time. Our teacher is Alan Smith. Amen. Amen. As in the Days of Noah, uh, this is a topic that uh, when I first began it, I thought, you know, four to six weeks should cover it. The more I get into it, uh, if you like current events, you need to understand as in the days of Noah, because it's such current events that uh, it leads us in this place of trying to understand where we are, what's going on, you know, what's happening. I felt like the older that I get, the more I should understand what's going on. It just so happens it's not working out that way. I, I am more absolute on some things, but I also have more questions in other areas. And uh, as I keep moving forward uh, in the things of God, so the things that I am unmovable in are, is, is growing deeper and I'm more unmovable than I've ever been, even though I have more questions. And so as we look at this teaching, as in the days of Noah, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. It leads me in this understanding of this week of if you were having a, a big cookout or if you were having people over uh, tonight when you go home, uh, you would be anticipating their coming. And not only that, you'd be preparing for their coming. And so it is with the Lord, the second coming of Christ. He has this, he's trying to give us this idea to, uh, to not only, we, we are living in a world that is dirty at best, but he is, uh, but still we want to clean up as much as we can, because company's coming. And uh, so we do want to look our best, even though that would uh, come up short. But the intent of the heart is to be prepared for His coming. That's what this scripture's leading. That's what our study is about. Now, I've talked about this before. Just to set the stage again, the time period is a t the time of deceptions. You can't miss this in the New Testament, that we are living in a time and a this is not a time of, of, uh, of a, a Disney World heaven on earth. This is not the time we're in. We're in a time of great deception. Uh, I probably, in my younger life, I probably lived, and we probably, a lot of us lived at the best time that would just, it was to be as far as the, as the Disneyland concept of, of America. Uh, but as things are moving on, we see this is the time of great deceptions. Jesus gives us a sign of the times. And one of those ways is he gives it to us as, and he answered and said unto them, take heed that no man deceive you. Now, as you get into Jesus's teachings, the and once you start seeing this, the deceptive idea being brought to the table, you're like, uh, well, is there anything left in the New Testament for, for New Testament living? Well, the answer is there is, uh, but there's such a great, vast uh, majority of scriptures talking about this great uh, deception. So he says, according to Christ, this is the end of uh, Colossians 2, uh, 9 and 10. He has this thing, and this is important. We've been over it. I'm not going to redo this. Uh, for in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and ye are complete in him which is the head of all principality and power. So Christ's instructions to, instruction to us in this time of deception is to understand your completeness in Him. And that is, uh, uh, so that is what keeps us, that's what keeps us out of deception. So it lends us to this idea that deception, 
must surely have something about how I'm not complete in Christ. Right? And so deception, if his answer to the deception problem is understand you're complete in him, then that gives us this understanding that when deception comes in, it's got to come in at this avenue of where we lack our understanding of completeness in him. It just so happens we tend to sin, believe it or not, we, we tend to sin. It takes faith to walk in completeness. It takes faith to walk in completeness. And it's a scary place to walk in completeness because when you start walking in completeness, then you are giving up uh, your right for sin. It's what happens. You're, you're, it might be subconsciously, but either way, you're giving up your right to sin when you, when you walk in this understanding or if you entertain the idea of completeness uh, because we know that there's no sin in him. And for us to identify with this completeness and walk in this completeness, we're discovering um, that our relationship with sin is, uh, is really being challenged. Now, completeness keeps us, and I want to keep that at our forefront as we move forward in deception and what's happening, and that is the completeness. And I'm going to hit that a little more in the next few uh, weeks. Now, we, uh, we talked about deception and delusion. There's two of these things happening in Scripture. I hit it from a little different angle this morning. Second Thessalonians, for this cause God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie. Now, we're going, we looked into, started last week understanding uh, what delusion was. I started pointing out there's a difference in deception and delusion. Deception is an act to deceive through some type of evidence. And so we talked about that. You accumulate evidence to create a deception. Now, our idea is you accumulate evidence to find out what the truth is. But you can also accumulate uh, evidence to, to, to deceive you. If you are a lawyer and you're, and you're defending someone, whether they're guilty or not, you're trying to a lot of lawyers will deceive you. The person's guilty, and they'll create evidence that will deceive you that they're innocent. And, and so that's what a type of deception is. And that, but we're living in that uh, time. Delusion is a type of false faith, uh, no evidence that is being experienced through a, what I call a mental illness, which is you can put in there disagreeing with God. Uh, my concept of mental illness is disagreeing with God. So delusion is a type of false faith. No evidence that is being experienced uh, through a mental illness or a, uh, or a mind that is not sound, to use biblical terminology, a sound mind. And, and so, but there's no evidence, but you're still experiencing it just the same. In other words, you're creating in your mind this, it's, it's, um, um, you're, you've heard the term used delusional. Now, here, here is, here's, I'm going to show you how, de, how delusional we are. When I say that, you're thinking of someone else. Uh, does anybody get that? I mean, the first thing that came to your mind, boy, I wonder who, who all these delusional people that are out there. And we think of the news and we think of all these ways. And so, but just to show you how delusional we are, we're always thinking of someone else. The question is, how delusional am I? 
And uh, to think that we're not in some areas, uh, you're, de you're deceived. Because, so how can I not be delusional? It's that I line up with the truth that's not delusional, which is the Word of God. And the Word of God is all truth, and it, is, it will lead you out of any uh, delusions. Second Timothy says, For God has not given us spirit of fear, but of power, love, and of sound of mind, he says. God's delusion is when he gives you what you want. So he says he sends delusion. I'm going to show you scripturally how God has done that. And a delusion is when God gives you what, what you want. In other words, uh, say God gives you, God holds his hand back. He begins to pull back his hand. And he allows us to have what we, uh, what we think that we want. And I'm going to give some more explanation to that. Delusion is a consequence of rejecting truth. That's very, very important. Um, it's just tremendously important. Uh, usually, and this, we'll dive in just a little deeper for one second. Um, delusion is usually after you reject the truth. Hallucinations come up. That's another story, but a delusion, hallucination is not the same thing. A delusion usually comes from rejecting truth. You know, where something's happened in your life or something's going on. You're having a hard time battling with reality and with truth, and so therefore uh, uh, we get delusional. You know, I'm sure everyone's familiar with the term paranoia. Well, well, paranoia, paranoia is the reaction of the human soul when that human is doing something they shouldn't be doing. Now, now we think. Paranoia is a reaction of the human spirit when we're doing something we shouldn't do. It's, it's, a, it's a created, uh, paranoia is a created experience. But you've got to understand, paranoia usually comes out of fear. It doesn't have to always, but it usually does. It comes out of a type of fear. So, so paranoia, uh, you know, well, just think back when you were a child, well, not go into last week, let's go a little earlier back, uh, when you were doing something you shouldn't be doing and you're always kind of looking around, see if anybody's watching, right? Or if you'd say something perhaps you shouldn't be saying and uh, maybe a joke you shouldn't be telling, you're always kind of looking around, well, everybody's hearing me, you know. And so when, the human, when we have behavior that we shouldn't be having, usually it equals paranoia. And so you say, well, Alan, I, I haven't, Par paranoia can come out of a memory of sin that could be 20 years old. And so therefore you're, you're paranoid. Then it can, the, that, that paranoia can grow into a disorder called paranoid schizophrenic. You ever heard of that term? Uh, it tends to be a, you know, now there again, those are perhaps psychological, psychiatric terms, but they're biblical terms is, is what they are. They're very biblical um, and they originated in the Bible, and the Bible puts it all under the idea of sin anyway. So, but wrong, beha wrong behavior, wrong thinking will equal a behavior that's out of order. And therefore, we call that a disorder. Now, now I want you to get the association between that and sin in, these, in the last days. You're going to have more mental illness out there today than it's ever been. It's ever been. And there's more people trying to, they're, and they're trying to control it, all mental illness now, by drugs. Everything's a drug. I mean, 
I forget how many, uh, uh, well, I don't, I don't know the stats right at the moment, but how many uh, of us in, in, uh, of people in this room are taking different drugs to control either mood, mood swings, uh, anxiety, uh, fears, a lot of type uh, disorders, um, because we are living in a time that disorder behavior, not thinking correctly, equaling disorder behavior is an all-time high. That's part of the end times. You say, well, how can, how can we uh, believe a lie? It's, it, it's because of the del it's a delusional. You see, one of the greatest movements today is uh, the New Age movement. Believe it or not, it's still alive and well. It's got a lot of different headings this day and time, but it's basically just your regular old New Age. And back in the 60s and 70s, you know, the, uh, a lot of people in that time was using LSD to, to have hallucinations, and those hallucinations equaled an experience that was like a godlike experience. And people believed that they were having an experience with God by hallucinating. Uh, you can go without sleep four or five days, and any human being in this room is going to hallucinate. It's, it's just, that's, that's region. If you, the, why is sleep important? It's so that you think properly. And the longer you're, you're awake, uh, the closer you are to hallucinations. If you're thinking really at a chronic place of unhealthy thinking and you cannot sleep well at night to the point of carrying on internal dialogue and, of, and you're so worried or, or whatever that you don't sleep well and you deprave yourself of, of sleep, it will, you, the ultimate of that is hallucinations, but none, not only that, you'll be delusional. And you'll come up with all these ideas that things are going on, people's after you and and that's not proper thinking. Can somebody please say amen? I hope I'm not talking about everyone in here. Sure. <laughs> but I, I, I am telling you of things that I have personally experienced. So, uh, But we, I want you to make the association of disagreeing with God and mental illness, of what I call mental illness, which is unhealthy thinking. Because this Bible constantly addresses unhealthy thinking. Uh, we don't, I don't want you to see sin as I can get by with it because the grace of God will forgive me because I sin. We have got to get way beyond this thing of, of, of a get by gospel that because of the grace of God, I can get by with sin. Um, sin equals unhealthy thinking uh, and chronic sin will equal chronic unhealthy thinking, which then it can grow into what we would call a disorder. Now, so a delusion is a consequence of, de of rejecting the truth. The truth sets us free and keeps us from delusion. That's what it does. Uh, today we see there is a, the problem of self-identity is growing. People are still trying to find themselves, who, who they are, right? Uh, that is one of the biggest, uh, if you allow me to use the word disorder, one of the biggest disorders out there today is people trying to find themselves. I was talking about the New Age movement. So people are doing the New Age movement these days. And, and so the big thing now, I had someone call me, and a young couple. Um, they had, they'd found God uh, and smoked and eaten mushrooms and, and all of this sort of stuff that they're using as hallucinogens and New Age movement, now how they found God and all that. And they got to talk to me about it. And, uh, 
I'll not go into all of that, but what I am after is to make us aware that these tools are still used, being used by the enemy, but they are increasing. They are increasing. And um, so after people have refused the truth for so long, God will allow them to have what they desire. I have, um, uh, we've used the terminology in charismatic Christianity, more Lord. And I, I understand that and I get it. Um, uh, but we've got to understand if that comes against a completeness in Christ, there's not more to be had. If you can hear what I'm saying. Now, there's one thing to be complete in Christ and not understanding what this completeness is and to think that God has withheld something from me. Right? Because God has withheld nothing from me, nothing from you, because we're complete in Him. So the Christian life is discovering this completeness. And, and uh, as God gives us revelation of this completeness that we're, that we're in Christ. So any type of Christianity, and there again, I, I get the phrases, it's more Lord and, and all this. I, I get that, but my concern is um, if it's not a reproach against the finished work of the cross of Christ. That's my problem uh, because there's a huge of a biblical understanding of the completeness. When Jesus said it was finished, he meant it. He doesn't have to emphasize that and say it three or four times. He, he meant it. And uh, so, but there again, and I'm making that contrast in this comparison and this teaching of delusional uh, and the delusions that happen and why does God allow this to happen is it's, it has to be against the backdrop of completeness. You see, you, you got to keep the two there together. Lost humanity believes it has the power to save itself and the world. That's absolutely. Lost humanity believes that they have the power to save itself and the world. So now you have, you've got to agree with something here. Human, lost humanity knows it needs to be saved from something, either us or the world or CO2 or everybody's trying to be, humanity's trying to constantly save itself. Why? It's because it's the need of humanity. And it just so happens we do have the answer and the only answer. I'm sorry if that sounds prideful, but it's just the truth. It's Bible. It's God's Word. He's given us this answer. Lost human so when you see the world today trying to do all these different things to save the earth and save this and, and, and to save all this sort of stuff, I mean, of course, I'm constantly in the statistics of agriculture and you know, what several of these countries are doing themselves is just unbelievable in my book. They're, they're all, there's Sri Lanka, two years, now they're starving to death because they, they passed a law you couldn't import fertilizer. Two years. Now we won't go organic. Sri Lanka, we're going organic. Two years, now they're starving to death. That's right. And there's other countries following suit. I'm like, I'm like what? everybody says follow the science. Let's do that. I'm for that. I'm for science. I'm for that. Let's follow the science. You've got to put fertilizer under corn plant, make it grow. You take it away, it does not grow. That's, that's what happens. Now, it just so happens the way God developed uh, like a corn, the, the way he has created these grains and things is if you've got a corn plant and uh, this is where people get in problems in their thinking, you can take a corn stalk that has 
adequate fertility, and it'll produce now 180, 200 bushel of corn per acre, which is just incredible. Um, 200 bushel uh, an acre. Just when I started 50, uh, I'm 69, started planting corn, I was 12, 14 years old, but back in those days, it was 50 bushels to the acre. Uh, now it's 200. Uh, world records are over 400, 350. It's just, it's just crazy. Uh, with adequate fertilization. So, but if you don't have adequate fertilization, um, let's say it takes a certain amount of fertilization to get 200 bushel corn. And um, pull away that uh, fertilization, then you get 100 bushel corn or 50 bushel corn per acre. It, it just so happens the way God's created, uh, uh, using the corn plant or any other plant, the way God's created it is... The, a grain of corn, if a corn makes 10 bushel an acre, that grain of corn in the 10 bushel or 5 bushel acre, that grain of corn in that 5 bushel will still sprout and grow another corn plant. Each grain of corn is still 100% grain of corn. It might be less bushels per acre, but each quality of the grain is still the same. Anybody hear what I'm saying? So the, the way God had the, had plants to negotiate with environment and with fertility. and uh, It could still reproduce itself. It just had less grains uh, per cob. Uh, another thing, if you get a, a, a ear of corn, you can count the rows around it and it'll always be an even number. <laughs> I could go on about a corn cob for a long time. Yeah, I would hope you'd be as amazed as I am. I mean, how God's just so got this thing. It's just... You know, and how God's created uh, um, nature to, to uh, when it gets into all of these crises, how, how God's created the plant life to negotiate with the, with the crisis that's around it. It's just an, it's incredible to me. And um, somebody came to me the other day talking to me, well, corn's just not as nutritious as it used to be. I said, well, if you plant the seed, does it still sprout? Well, I don't know, never tried it. I said, well, try it, and it'll tell you if it is or not. You know, if people get on, come up with these concepts, God's got this stuff figured out, people. He's got it figured out to, to the finest detail. And then we come along thinking we're going to save the planet and save each other and, and save. I'm just telling you, those whole concepts are wrong. God was way ahead of us on all this stuff. So the enemy comes and has given us these grandiose ideas that we're going to save ourselves, save the planet. We need to let this happen. We need to let that happen. Let every, and everything that we do destroys ourselves. And that, that's not so bad, but we keep doing it. <laughs> it just blows. I mean, let's just go by trial and error. This doesn't work, right? This, this doesn't work. And so when you know God's into something, it can always multiply, and it will multiply with a greater amount. Uh, in other words, when God, mult when God duplicates, he multiplies. That's what I'm trying to say. If you put one seed, you're going to get a hundred seed in, in, in return. So you always have this concept of something's of God that it can, it can duplicate and multiply. And usually it's in multiplication tables. It's not uh, just duplicate one for one. That's the reason you can even take that concept to any, uh, take it to human behavior. If I have to define that for you, see me after church. Now, delusion implies an inability to distinguish between what is real and what only seems to be real, often as the result of 
a disordered state of mind or a mental illness. That's what delusion. And as Christians, what we're wanting to do is not to be delusional about what's going on around us, what's going on in the world. How do we keep ourselves from being delusional? It's because we know the Word of God. The Word of God's true. If you, if we need to read the Word of God more now than we ever have. Need to study the Word of God more now than we ever had. Uh, I usually go, I'm either going to bed with the Word of God playing in my mind, in earphones, in, in tractors. I'm constantly, and you say, Alan, that's stupid. I'm pouring it in all I can get uh, because I understand this thing of having a sound mind. And I've told you all before, my mother had uh, some high-level mental illness, and I've been in and out of mental hospitals more than, more than most people uh, been in school. And you do not want to think incorrectly. You just don't want to do that. It's just not good. And then when I see the whole world around me and been in not as many mental hospitals as I have with her over the years, over 40 years, and then I see the world and I see, and I'm like, oh my goodness, it was safer in the hospitals. And you think I'm kidding, but I'm not. Because everybody in the hospital knew why they were there. Yeah. Can anybody hear what I'm saying? And, and so uh, the greatest hope for mankind is the Word of God and God, and not only the Word of God, but it's the presence of God. And I'll tell you something. The presence of God and the Word of God goes around uh, intellectualism. You don't intellectually get to God. And so we find today that, um, well, let me go on. Okay, I, can, I don't want to camp out there. Now, here's an example of deceiving yourself. Let's look at it. Anybody see what that? Can somebody tell me what that is? That's an car. It's an electric car. There again, I'm going to use that as an example, a quick example. I'll not let's stay here long. Uh, if you like electric cars, that's, that's great. And that's wonderful. I'm not saying I would, don't like them, but we can be deceived by, by it. Electric cars are not a net zero emissions. <laughs> Drive electric cars, so we're net zero emissions. It's not true. Why is that not true? Well, if we plug it up, it's not. It, it, okay, just look at it. Why is that not true? You do not eliminate emissions. You just redu redirect, their, redirect their emissions. That's all you're doing. You're redirecting the emissions of electric. Now, there again, the only thing I'm using is an example of how we can be deceived. Uh, you have to dig up about 500,000 pounds of material to make a single 1,000-pound battery to, to accumulate these minerals, everything. You got to, you got to dig up about 500,000 uh, pounds of material to make... Uh, a thousand pound battery. That's a lot of digging. That's a lot. That's a lot of digging because all all of the batteries, lithium and your zinc and all that all that stuff comes out of the ground. Now, it takes between. And watch this. It takes between one hundred to three hundred barrels of oil to manufacture a battery that will hold the energy of one barrel of oil. You say, Alan, I don't believe that. I don't either. But it's true. You say, well, how, how can that, I mean, you ought to read the article in the, in the research that I did for, to, to get that statement. It's just, it's just it's crazy. But we don't think about that. When, so if somebody says to me, 
need to buy electric cars so we reduce CO2 levels, I'm being lied to. It takes more CO2. All right, look at it. It takes more CO2. Just manufacturing the battery will create a carbon debt uh, rate equivalent of 10 tons to 40 tons of CO2. Make one car battery. You're going to release more CO2 to the atmosphere than any engine that could do that that battery's going to do. Now, it's just it's astronomical. So that's where I say, okay, let's follow the science. The plans that are in place now would require the increase of the mining of lithium cobalt zinc at a rate of 400 to 4,000% increase. There isn't enough mining in the world to accomplish this. There's, just, there's not enough out there to even do, do the math. Now, do you see all that equipment right there in the mine? Do you have any idea? Did you know you can't even put an electric motor in those things? You can't create an electric motor big enough to run it. You, they can't drag around a drop cord. They can't, they can't do that. Now, just keep in mind, I'm talking about delusional. That's one of the, uh, there's, there's five huge lithium mines in the world, and that's one of them. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, let's, let's go. Let's go electric. But yet, but you want, you want to do that. But nobody is saying that. So, so I ask myself the question, let's follow the science. Something tells me somebody's not following the science. But they're acting like they're following the science. So I have to admit I'm being lied to. It's called Deception. Now, the recipient of deception is your delusional. Are you with me? Once you become delusional, you're delusional somewhat in almost everything. If you sprain your ankle, I don't care if you walk or if you run, you still have had a sprained ankle. It's going to affect you in every area of life for motivation. Delusional is the same way. Once you take on a delusional, so the, the reason this is so important, and I use electric car because it's easy. There's so many things out there now that are, that are being told to us that's truth, it's not truth, and you have to ask yourself the question, why? 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 Well, the whole idea... All of this is CO2 levels. All this is coming down on agriculture, most of it. That's where the bottom line ends, it ends up on agriculture. And it's like I told you, it's Sri Lanka and, and several other countries. Now, New, I mean, Holland, Amsterdam is one of the most efficient agriculture places on the planet. They have got that one down. They do such a wonderful job. I mean, in their spare time, they grow flowers. They, that, I mean, they grow more by accident than we do on purpose in the United States. They're now passing the law by 2030. Uh, they've got to cut their fertilizer consumption by 50%. The government there, it, the nitrates, it, it's just they have went just completely off the rails. Going to destroy 
one of the greatest agricultural countries we have on the planet. And, and believe it or not, most countries now agriculturally are really doing incredible. Um, you just got hardworking people, uh, have learned to be very efficient, done a real good job. Uh, believe it or not, some of our genetics has been good. Uh, do I think some of it now is going south? The answer is yes, I do. We now have the ability to do evil as well as good, even in genetics. Um, but I have to ask myself, when I see it globally, what is going on? Why, why go to all this? Listen, don't think that all of this stuff that's happening is a normal day. Uh, in, on planet Earth. It's just, and I, there again, and let me say this to you. I have to check myself. You can say, Alan, why are you talking about doom and gloom all the time? You don't know me, evidently. I have to constantly check myself not to be too excited about this. You say, well, Alan, that's a bad joke. I know it to be a bad joke, but it's the truth. I have to check myself not to be so excited about living in these times. I can stand up here and tell you the truth. You test it, but I can tell you the truth because I know the time we're living in and I am so excited about it. Val, what about the hard times in Agra? I know it's all there, but I'm so excited because I know the time that I'm living in and I, could I be that generation of the coming of Christ? And I just totally skipped the grave. I just automatically get my new body and meet him in the air. Come on. My goodness. So my excitement so overrules the sadness of this thing. Now, I have to tell you the sadness, but make no mistake about it. My excitement is far greater. And I try not to sound so excited about these bad things, <laughs> lest you think terrible of me. I try to look sad when I say it. <laughs> now, we see a similar pattern here in Romans. Y'all know the scripture well. We see this pattern in Romans, and, it's, and we're going to read through it real quickly, okay? But it's the same pattern Paul is speaking about as what we've been talking about here, same pattern in Romans. And we see here where people reject God's truth for so long that he abandons them over to their own sinfulness. Now, the reason that's important for us today, you consider if you're in life and still arguing with God about one particular sin, I suggest you quit it and repent because God can give you, let you just have it. I've got a, a, a guy that I'm thinking of right now that he, he was just, this particular person was a, God saved him. He was basically out of being a con artist and, uh, he, he would not repent before God. That's not who you're thinking. That's another person. And uh, yeah, it's, school's still out on that one. Um, but God finally just quit dealing with him. And uh, now he is believing his own paranoia. He's now recluse to a home. He's believing his own paranoia. You know, God's, it's just like God just took his hand off of him. And he's, he's just giving him over. Uh, to his own con. So he ultimately is the victim of his own con. Can, can you see that? Now, if God gives us over to our particular sin, an argument we are with him, we're just going to become that sin. That's all. And, and so it's a dangerous thing. 
It's a very dangerous thing. Now, this is what happens here in Romans. It seems that they have crossed a point of no return. I'm going to read this quickly because I want to get on to something else. Uh, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness, because that which may be known of God is manifest in them. For God hath showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because that when they knew God, somebody read that and see that and believe it, because that when they knew God, can somebody see that? Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, You can say, well, Alan, were those that knew God, does that mean they were saved or lost? I don't know, but I wouldn't take a chance on it. When they knew God, they glorified Him not as God. Neither were they thankful. Okay, let's look here. They didn't glorify Him as God. They weren't thankful. In other words, they were complainers all the time. They didn't give God glory. And they complained all the time, means they weren't thankful. They became vain in their own imaginations. In other words, they had more, uh, they believed more in their own imaginations than they did uh, God. And their foolish hearts were what? Now, that's the worst state that anybody can be on the planet of the earth. And it appears to me that somebody that knows God can be there too. Now, I've told you, and I've said it before, and I'll say it again. I am a guy that believes in eternal security. I'm just not sure where it starts. All right, all right, you can figure that one out. Here we go. Now, this is in Romans 1.18. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image like uh, made like into corruptible man, into birds and four-footed feasts and creepy things. You see that? Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools and they changed the glory of God into uncorruptible God. And they're getting all this imagery of animals. Wherefore, God also gave them up to uncleanliness through the lust of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. See that? Uh, who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped uh, and served the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. So we can see one thing that happens when your heart darkens that you start giving this overemphasis to worshiping of, of, of creatures. Uh, for this cause, God gave them up to vile affections for even their women to change their natural use unto that which is against nature. Likewise, also the men leave the natural use of the woman, burning their lust one towards another. Men with men working that which is unseemly <coughs> and receiving in themselves that recompense of the era which was met. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind. Do you see that? Reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. Goes on, being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, uh, malignity, whispers, backbiters, haters of God, despiters, proud, boasters, and Vendors of evil things, disobedient in Paris, it goes on and on. Understand covenant breakers, which know in the judgment of God, those who commit such things are worthy of what? Death. Not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do it. Are you see that? You can say, well, I'm not doing that, but do you have a little bit of pleasure in watching them? What's pornography? You might not be committing that sin, but you're having pleasure in watching somebody else. Is that too plain or is that just real? You see, you see what I'm saying? If you have any pleasure in anybody that's sinning, right here, right here you go. You're already in trouble. Now let's look at this. The same thing happened to Pharaoh after he refused to let the Israelites leave Egypt. You remember that? I want you to watch this progression quickly. God hardened his heart. Now watch this, Exodus 8, 15. 
But when Pharaoh saw that there was a respite, he hardened his heart and hearkened not unto them as the Lord had uh, said. That word uh, there uh, is a short period of rest or relief from something that was difficult or unpleasant. When he, when he said, saw there wasn't any place of rest or whatever, uh, he hardened his heart. Now, here I want you to see something. Pharaoh hardened his own heart here. And I'm not going to go through all the plagues. I'm just going to pull out where I want you to see this. In Exodus 8, 32, And Pharaoh hardened his heart at this time, also neither uh, would he let the people go. Then it goes on to say in Exodus 9, 34, the next one, And when Pharaoh saw that the rain and the hail and the thunders were ceased, he sinned yet more and hardened his heart, he and his servants. Then we go on to see in Exodus 10, 1, And the Lord said unto Moses, Go unto Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart, and the heart of his servants, that I might show these signs before him. So the progression is man hardened his own heart. Then God said, Okay, now I'm going to harden your heart. Now guess what? When God hardens your heart, she's hard. Can God unharden your heart? Well, I'd pray for it if you got one. Now, here we go. Anyone who rejects the truth of God is being deceived. And at some point, God may abandon him to the deception that he has willingly embraced. That's what happened to Pharaoh. He, he was embracing it. So God ultimately hardened his heart. Therefore, part of the great delusion from God is when he gives you over to what you think you want. That's what happened in Romans that's what happens here, we can see, with Pharaoh. It appears we could say uh, this is the state we find our country in today. Agreed? Scary. It seems to me that judgment perhaps has begun. Now, let's just look at it and see. We have the most Christian resources today than we have ever had. We have more resources that are uh, to use. We've got the Internet. We've got every Bible you want to look at. Uh, we've got more resources today, but... It appears that uh, Christianity is declining in America. So it's not that we don't have the resources. But we have a decline in Christian commitment and knowledge. Matthew 24, 37. But as in the days of Noah were, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. Now, does anybody know this gentleman? It's our former president, Barack Obama. Barack Obama, he wrote a book called The Audacity of Hope. Uh, here is... Uh, a quote from that book. Whatever we once were, we are no longer just a Christian nation. We are also a Jewish nation, a Muslim nation, a Buddhist nation, a Hindu nation, and a nation of non-believers. That's a quote out of his book. Now you can say, well, Alan, that's kind of harmless. This seems harmless, but it is a battle between the Word of God and the Word of man. That's the problem. That is the problem. So we start seeing a transition, even with the book with our former president, that it starts saying, okay, now we're not a Christian nation, so it starts introducing new language where, yes, we're, so Christianity is one of all these things. And of course, that is the philosophy of the New Age movement, actually, that you combine all of the religions. There's many, uh, Jesus Christ uh, is not the only way to, to God. And ultimately, you say Jesus Christ is not the way to God. Uh, so... In Genesis 3, 4, And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die, for God doeth not know in the day thereof. Then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as God's knowing good and evil. Now I want you to understand the battle, the battle, the great battle, 
The great battle is between the Word of God and the words of man. That's the battle. So I stand before you persuaded I do not have a right to give my opinion, none other than the Word of God, in any given situation. In any given situation. It's not, the Word of God is not to be processed through my mind and therefore coming up with a palatable way that you'll receive the truth of God. That is not what's to be happening. Now, I know a lot of people say, well, Alan Church needs to be relevant to culture and all that, and I'm like this, pooey. <laughs> I'm just as sorry as I can be. That is not working. That just does not work. How can you have full repentance without not hearing the full truth? Somebody tell me how. How can you fully repent lest you hear the full truth? How? It just can't be done. Now, the battle from the beginning is between God's Word versus man's Word. Is your thinking based on what God says or on what you think and say? Now, that's, that's a big deal. That's a big deal. The question is, where do you get your truth from? Now, as we move forward, and i got just two minutes here. How could you escape the wrath to come in the days of Noah? Genesis 6, 5. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And by far, that is where we're at today. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. So Noah found the same grace that I find today. Hallelujah. For some reason, Noah found grace in the eyes of God. Some reason. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. How do you find grace in the eyes of the Lord? Let me ask you this. How can you find grace outside of looking in the eyes of the Lord? Might be a better question. You find the grace of God by looking in the eyes of the Lord. That's how we find grace. Noah found it in his day. Do you know what Noah's gospel was? This is the gospel according to Noah. Build a boat and save you and your house. That was the gospel according to Noah. Noah had a point of obedience to this message from God, and it equaled building a boat. The message God has for me is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's where His grace and mercy is found. That is His message to me. And if I truly believe that message, it tells me I will constantly be looking into the eyes of the Lord. And as I constantly look into the eyes of the Lord, I will find grace in His eyes. Now, you can say, well, Alan, what if I'm not looking into the eyes of the Lord? I would venture to say you are leaving some grace behind that you probably need. That you probably need. There's not a scarier place to be in this day and hour than to be out here trying to live this life in this world that we're living in outside of the true grace of God. 
Let's see where we're going to pick up here next week. The greatest lie of all time. You don't want to miss it. The greatest lie. And I'm tempted to punch a button, but I will not. It is 1031. Unless we get behind schedule, the greatest lie of all time is. You, I really don't want to leave you right where I've got you without you knowing that. Lord Jesus, we love you. I thank you for this word that you've given us. I ask and pray, oh God, in the name of Jesus, that as your children, we would take your word and we would test it. We would test what the speaker said. We would not take it just because he said it, but we would test it against your word and with your spirit that it might grow us up in truth, that we might be a people of God to be feared by the gates of hell, that we might be a people of God that hell takes notice to because these people of new life are on the move. This week they'll be on the move in the planet. They'll be on the move taking the gospel and the power and the anointing of Christ to a lost and hurting world. But it's with great joy and great zeal that we're expecting your coming at any time. Take us up, Lord. Let us take you up. Anoint us in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.